1: Duvall, welcome into the Jinjag podcast. I'm Jordan Delugo, joined as always by Jeremy Markowski. Today we've got a bunch of good stuff for y'all. The boys are back. The players returned to the team facility yesterday, Monday, April 11th, uh, for the start of the off-season program. We'll get into that. Little Travis Etienne injury update. Some other topics of note on that front. Draft talk. Is Trayvon Walker, the next Alden Smith. Dylan Moses was waived by the team. We had a couple guys sign their free agent tenders. So there's a lot to talk about. We'll get into all that and more here on the Jin Jag podcast. Jeremy,
0: what is up, my brother? I am doing good, man. I am doing good. Like you said, guys are back in the building, which only means one thing, and that's football's back. You know, we got a long way to go to the regular season, but I feel like once those spring workouts and OTA start to hit kind of get that 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 smell right you can smell the football coming back everything's starting to feel right again you start that off-season trek so that's oh, yeah. good that
1: fresh cut grass
0: that fresh cut grass i don't know man they they got monster jam coming up soon so or if that didn't pass already so i don't know if they got the grass getting cut right now just yet but well it's a good drive past the stadium the other day not at know. the practice field not at the practice field you are correct Did they have turf
1: Construction going on
0: before they had or was that real grass it uh, was real grass was it real grass yeah but yeah so the guys are back in everything's good and uh you know just looking forward to seeing what you know everything everything will come of the doug peterson era what i'm really focused on though is getting me a jacket like jamal agnew had because that thing that jacket was (laughs) fresh man i need one of those oh
1: yeah oh yeah uh i've got myself a couple throwback um like sweaters crew neck type things i do not have one of those starter jackets those are just i need that I need, I
0: need some retro jags gear i don't have anything from my you know my days as a kid I, all my retro yeah. stuff obviously i'm I'm a much bigger human being than obviously i was back then just in general but i don't have any retro gear i need a couple retro hats man like is that a starter jacket windbreaker something
1: yeah and i'm working on uh working on doing some more throwback type stuff over on our, uh, on our shop online. So hopefully we can, we can help you with that. Oh yeah. We can help ourselves with that. (laughs) And, uh, obviously there's a bunch of people in town that sell like vintage stuff that you can find. Um, so yeah, follow us on Twitter at Jeremy Markowski for Jeremy, myself at Jordan DeLugo, Generation Jaguar at Generation Jag, and of course, check out GenJag.com for all the latest Jaguars news and analysis and Duval gear. We do have the Duval throwbacks, um, the sweatshirt and the uh, t-shirt people can find right now. It's not quite the same swag, but it has that 90s t-shirt. Um kind of vibe to it you can check that out but nothing quite as impressive as that starter jacket jamal agnew was repping not
0: gonna lie (laughs) i need a t-shirt with like the you remember the old um miami subs you remember that place yeah you remember those cups that they had they had like that kind of like miami vice like blue oh yeah yeah like that that pattern right i need a pattern with that Right. And then a big old Jaguar across the front with all Jaguar colors mixed in. Give me the teal, give me the gold, give me everything. And that in that nineties Miami Vice pattern. I, I would like love it. that.
1: All right. I'm taking notes.
0: <laughs> Call me up. Design studio. Here we go.
1: Absolutely. So the Jaguars, along with the Buccaneers, Broncos, Raiders, Texans, and Minnesota Vikings, they all started their offseason program on Monday. Uh, You saw Trevor, you saw Christian Kirk kind of dapping it up, saying what up to each other. Those two guys, I mean, they could absolutely just own this city if they pop off off over the next couple years.
0: Oh, most definitely. And, I mean, you have everything right there for the taking, Trevor. And Christian. You have everything right there for the taking, right? Hopefully they paired these guys up. Hopefully it's a dynamic duo. But you can only go up, right? The, The franchise has been so far down for so long any gleaming hope of success you know will reignite everyone just like it did in 2017 obviously we know how that ended it didn't really carry over but the city's for the taking man i mean you can just step in and become that guy and the city is yours you will own jacksonville you will be the king of jacksonville and honestly when it comes down to it there's a lot of other places that you know i think would not be as rewarding as jacksonville when it comes to kind of being that guy in town there's a lot of things to do here there's a lot of uh I guess you could say things you could take advantage of some perks of living in Jacksonville. They can take the city. They could be the guys.
1: Absolutely. Um, And yeah, the tradition isn't here, you know, the same way it is in Pittsburgh and other places. You had those guys in the late nineties who absolutely were studs. Um, Some guys in the early two thousands to mid two thousands, but I mean, Jalen Ramsey he came in and he was everything and of course that didn't work out and I, I don't necessarily blame him for that solely certainly that was a team effort <laughs> botching that but um, yeah if you come in and you put in put in a few good seasons in Jacksonville as a quarterback and a wide receiver Like I said, the city is yours. So right now the team is not able to hit the practice field. They're able to get into the meeting rooms. They're able to rehab. They're able to work out, but they're not hitting the practice field. And when they do hit the practice field, uh, a lot of that is going to be over at Episcopal. Um, At Episcopal is not their main campus, but their campus uh, a little bit further down Atlantic Um, And and that's where they're going to be able to practice and and take the field while their current practice facility is being turned into kind of like a football mega complex where it'll have locker rooms, meeting rooms, weight rooms, practice fields, everything. Um, So they're not going to be able to utilize that until later on. But that's going to be a huge, huge piece to, to the football puzzle in Jacksonville. But for now, we're just doing the meetings, just getting in the weight room, all that good stuff. And then voluntary mini camps, April 26th to April 28th, right? So right before the draft in less than three weeks. April 26th is exactly two weeks from today. Um, then you got OTAs, May 23rd, 24th, 26th, and then May 31st through June 1st, June 3rd, June 6th, June 9th. Uh, and then mandatory minicamp, June 13th to 15th. Then they'll break. And then uh, late Ju- late July, you'll get into training camp. And that's really, that's where it, where it all starts coming to a head where you really start figuring out some things about your football team.
0: Yeah, we are well on the way there, one step at a time. I cannot believe the draft is already this close. I mean, it's, it's kind of like months of talk and and obviously not, it, it's been months since the Jaguars knew they had the first pick, right? We, we've known what's well, been going on for a while, but once you kind of start, you know, the turn of the calendar, Super Bowl ends, right? That's when I think that the talk really starts to pick up and you really start to gain that traction. So it's been a long road. We're finally here, but man, I feel like it flew by.
1: It always does for me because I'm just, you know, day, every day. Yeah. You
0: know, um, with that daily show you got going on now.
1: Yeah, if you guys haven't checked that out, I mean, it's on your podcast feed. It's on YouTube. We obviously share it on social media, but Duval Daily, I've been um, putting out for the last couple weeks, just kind of a quicker, um, shorter version of the show where I can just jump into some quicker topics and uh, get you guys some more content, some more good content, quality content. That's the goal there.
0: Always, always quality contact with you, Jordan. But I, I couldn't pass up a shameless plug there for you.
1: Appreciate it. I love it. <laughs> Dylan Moses was waived. Um, we've talked about him. I know a lot of Jaguars fans just on social media, on Twitter, have you know, been in my mentions, been in a lot of mentions. Like, what's up with Dylan Moses? Well, now we know the Jaguars have decided that continuing to try to rehab that knee that he injured in 2019, um, trying to you know get him back to where he was or somewhere close to that version of himself where he was one of the best linebackers in the country at Alabama. Uh, they've decided that that's no longer in the best interest of the football team. Uh, obviously very disappointing for Moses who at one time had first round buzz, certainly day two buzz as a as a draft pick went undrafted in twenty twenty one, and the Jaguars they they worked with him all last year, and they've just decided time to cut the cord. Unfortunately,
0: yeah, it's definitely unfortunate to see a young guy like Moses. You know, his career most likely come to an end. I mean, you might find another team that'll take a little bit of a rehab flyer on him, but there's more to that story than obviously we all know. Um, and, you know, obviously only speculating based on what we've seen, he wasn't a guy that was well liked around the locker room. And I don't know if that has anything to do with his rehab or the effort or, you know, what, you know, he was doing, um, on the side or, you know, if he was even making an attempt, you know, to, to get himself closer to the player that he wanted to be, I understand that injuries are tough and dealing with that is tough and going from a world-class athlete you know, being diminished down to almost nothing just because of a sports injury, right? Having your draft stock fall through the roof, you know, once you thought, you know, you were going to have a lucrative career in the NFL, being able to help your family, friends, you know, the whole nine yards, that's got to be tough. So, you know, wherever he ends up, as, as long as he's at peace with himself and, and you know, it, he can move on and, and things are, you know the the book is closed on a good note. Then then I'm happy for him. But you know, really hope that that he's making every attempt and at everything he can do to to maximize his potential and and see that dream through if it's still a dream of his. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, two guys, three guys that get to continue their football dreams: Andrew Dewey Wingard, Jameer Jones, and Chappelle Russell. They all signed their RFA tenders with the Jaguars, and that was to be expected. Like, you don't really have any power as a restricted free agent. Certainly not one that, um, you know, not none of those three guys is going to have teams beating down the door to sign to a big contract to give up draft picks to steal them away from the Jaguars. But uh, everyone knows about Wingard, certainly, that listens to this show. Jameer Jones, a lot of people probably might not know. The Jaguars signed him late, late in the season. Claimed him off of waivers from the Rams I believe uh, but he he was with the Texans when he was undrafted free agent in 2020 they didn't keep him around very long the Steelers had him uh for a bit and he was able to make some headway in training camp and uh and the preseason as a guy he's an edge defender he's not like a hand in the dirt defensive lineman defensive end but he is an edge defender who was kind of asked to uh, rush the passer a little bit and and do that sort of thing? And he's a guy that made an impact. Like I said, for the Steelers, he made their fifty-three man roster, and then they ended up having to part ways with him due to uh, you know other needs on the roster later on. But he did make their initial fifty-three man roster. We've got a wine and dog behind us. I don't know if that's coming through. <laughs> But, yeah, Jameer Jones is a guy I think the Jaguars will look at as someone with the potential to make the 53-man roster. And then Chappelle Russell, he was on the roster for a good portion of last season. He got some snaps in. He actually has a good connection here because Mike Caldwell, his former linebacker coach in Tampa, is now the defensive coordinator. So Chappelle Russell should have a good shot of sticking around. Uh, at least through the initial cuts and stuff. And it'll be tight, you know, at the end when you get to the 53 man roster. But he should be able to stick around at least on the practice squad unless someone snipes him. Um, and talking about those two guys, they're both qu- classified as linebackers. Dylan Moses is gone, Miles Jack is gone, Foya Luikin is in. The linebacker group is going to be interesting now.
0: Yeah. I took the words right out of my mouth there. It's, it's, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a complete overhaul, right? We're going to see a lot of new faces. Um, we saw a lot of Damian Wilson and Miles Jack last year and they're both gone. So you know, there, there are needs and there are holes there. This could bode well for Chappelle Russell, um, especially if they're, you know, if he's a guy that they think that, you know, could potentially come in and produce, you've got a coach who has familiarity with you and hopefully can get the best out of you. So that's always a good position. And, you know, for, for winger, as much as we like to joke around and, and you know you know take little digs at him and stuff, at times you know yes he he was very 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 poor on defense, but uh, you know in his defense he has been somewhat of an impactful special teamer in the past, um, especially on kickoffs uh, and punt coverages and stuff here and there. So you know unfortunately for him this team was not very deep, and you know whether it be poor coaching decisions or just true lack of talent, he saw you know himself uh, carry a lot of field time last year. And, you know, it wasn't the best for him. So hopefully now with the depth that we have, um, especially in the secondary, maybe he can get back to being a core special teamer for the Jaguars.
1: Yeah, hopefully he can just focus on that aspect of his game because if he's in the game for you at safety, your defense is not going to be operating at full capacity, especially not in the AFC South uh, where you saw him just trying to avoid tackling Derrick Henry and Jonathan Taylor. That's just not going to fly
0: yeah and 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 look man would i try to tackle them too absolutely not but i'm also not in the nfl so (laughs) you
1: also haven't made 2.6 million dollars over the last three years and
0: i'll tell you what i will take 2.6 million dollars any day to let derrick henry run through me so whenever we're ready to set that up uh derrick henry is close to home maybe he's in town let me know jacksonville jaguars you could pay me just as much money you actually pay me a lot less money uh to actually even attempt to try to tackle him so let me know whenever you're ready I mean, I think the people
1: would pay to see that too.
0: Hey, right? I'm I'm a man of the people. Start a GoFundMe. Let's get the funds. <laughs> I will let Derrick Henry run. I'll, I'll try to tackle him. I'll let him run straight through me. There's a lot of things I would do for 2.6 million dollars. Like you said, yeah, it just it wasn't a good sight, right? When you see your supposed to be strong safety coming down in the box and kind of just laying a guy at the goal line. I mean, that that's tough to come back from.
1: You know what's bad is. He's actually listed as their as he was a free safety. Oh, he but he doesn't works. have the athleticism to play free safety, <laughs> and I also I always and he like doesn't have the power, the strength, the intensity to play strong safety.
0: No, he doesn't. But I feel like he was always down in the box, right? You got to find something for him. He's a tweener, but like you said, core special teamer. Let's just get him back there, and 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 you know, hopefully, like you said, if if you've got him playing on your defense, and hopefully things have gone horribly wrong, and it's not a conscious decision.
1: Yeah which it was in 2021, unbelievably so. Travis Etienne, if you don't remember, Liz Frank injury in the preseason, in the second week of the preseason, missed his entire rookie year. He is now feeling 100%. Uh, he said that he, three weeks ago, was feeling 100%. But according to like the doctors and what they're allowing him to do, he's 85 to 90%. Uh, He is running full speed, doing almost everything at this point, not doing all the weight on the squat rack yet, but he should be ready to go before training camp. Uh, And he says he wouldn't even think that he had a screw in his foot if he didn't know it was there. Uh, So very exciting news for a running back. The Jaguars took with the 25th overall pick. They had huge plans for him in 2021 in that offense. And I think not having him, in 2021 and not having DJ Chark, who of course has moved on to the lions. How much did that impact their offensive game plan? I think it, I think it, you can't overstate how much it was.
0: No. And and I would hope that it affected their game plan, right? It's your number one wide receiver and your first round draft pick. If you, if that didn't affect your game plan, then you were making the wrong decisions in regards to personnel anyway. Um, so can't wait to have him back. The list Frank injury, though, you know, it just it it's still something that no matter how right you feel, no matter how you know full go you're ready to be, it could linger and it could pop up at any time. And it's a stress injury, right? So the more stress you put on that foot, the worse it can be. Um, I'm glad that he feels great, and, and I'm hoping that there's no separation um, there in the future. But you know, you just never know. You, you never know. And and with James Robinson also coming off an Achilles injury, probably not likely to play for most of the season it does, you know, unfortunately still kind of give you that idea that the backfield's not right where we wanted to be before the start of the season.
1: I bet you J-Rob is ready before midseason. Really? He might start on December. Dude, Cam Akers had it and came back way quicker than that. And I know you can't just say Cam Akers is everyone, but um, yeah, like 10 months, I bet he could do it.
0: It's possible. I just, I wouldn't bank on it, you know, especially a guy, I mean, he's a little bit bigger than Cam Akers. That's the first, and to, and to be completely honest with you, that was the first time we've seen an Achilles injury come back that fast, right? And, and I was, I'm still in awe of that. So, I mean, maybe, yeah. maybe, you know, ACLs used to be a 12 month recovery, right? Absolutely used to be a 12 month recovery with no questions, no ifs, ands, buts about it. Now you see guys coming back earlier than ever from those as well. So mm-hmm. maybe things are to change and maybe we see him come back from the Achilles, but I and, think as of right now, you got to plan for that not to be the case.
1: And the Liz Frank injury as well. Yeah. Um, Derek Stingley, one of the top draft pick, or one of the presumed top draft picks, who, by the way, also met with the Jaguars on a top 30 visit. Not that I think they'll get the chance to draft him unless they want to take him at one. But he had a Liz Frank injury uh, early on in the 2021 season. He was able to come back for his pro day recently. All he did was post a four three seven think like a 38 inch vert. He looked good. So that's another encouraging thing there. And ETN is a, he is a next level athlete. Like he's an elite athlete. And so hopefully he's one of those guys where he can just push it. And, um, and obviously I don't mean push it in, in a way where he's not ready, but some of these elite athletes, they can recover from injuries. Just Faster than other people can I think yeah. etn is that type of athlete and uh, he says he's a hundred percent So, you know at least getting into training camp. He should be fully ready to go
0: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they obviously had him on a little bit of a, of a schedule come training camp But like you said, right? We we've that's what we've what we've been waiting for all year is, is will he be ready to go For the start of the offseason fully and if he's this close and they're saying he's this close Then I hope to see him out there in what june july um so
1: yeah i mean late july that's mm-hmm. still three months over three months away
0: yeah if you're at 85 percent now i mean that 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 would hopefully bring you right around to at least doing full explosive stuff by training camp you know we don't have to worry about contact but i need full explosive movement uh full range of motion everything like that to be confident
1: yeah so that's encouraging no doubt about it um and he said if there was any year to miss, I missed a great one. And, and when he says great one, he does not mean it was a great year. He means it was a great year to miss. Uh, that's for sure. Kind of funny that he, that he admitted that candidly.
0: Yeah, I, I think the, the demeanor, I think everything has changed uh, in that locker room and, and in the building. And I think we've kind of started to, to figure that out over the past um, couple of weeks. I know Doug, uh, Dougie P has, has made a couple, um, you know, off-branded comments about you know things that happened around here in the past and, and how he's gonna be a better coach than Ever Meyer and all these sort of things. So I think after the shock kind of you know wore off and everyone kind of realized like, holy hell, we just went through that. Like now you can kind of look back on it and just laugh and be like, holy crap, what kind of situation were we in, you know? But as professional athletes, especially as a rookie, rookie quarterback, I mean, I could I just I couldn't imagine what your first taste in the NFL, you know, what 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 that kind of left in your mind in regards to a lasting impact because that had to have been rough.
1: Yeah. And Trevor Lawrence, he said it today. He kind of took three weeks or so after the season, didn't run, didn't work out, didn't do anything, didn't throw passes to just decompress. Uh, And he said today, there's no word. You can't put one word on what happened last year besides distractions and that's what it was. He had to grow up right before our very eyes in terms of being a leader of a team, in terms of answering questions that no players should ever have to answer, and he did it with great poise. He did it with great confidence. Uh, he's just one of the one of the most grounded and humble and comfortable with themselves type of Type of players, franchise players that you could ever hope for. And that came through again today in his first opportunity to speak with the media, you know, with the offseason program going.
0: Yeah, he's so even keel. It's wild. And the only reason why I bring this guy up in comparison is because you mentioned him earlier, but the last real star that we had in Jacksonville was Jalen Ramsey. And I'm not saying Trevor Lawrence is a star yet, but. Just because he, he was the first overall, right? Just because he's the first overall pick and he's here to save the franchise, right? He's going to be in the limelight. He's going to be a star. He's not maybe an NFL star yet, but he's everywhere billboards, commercials, everything, right? He's a marketable guy. He's a face you're going to see. And they He's cannot- the
1: leader of the team, bottom line.
0: Oh, absolutely. Like, there's 100%. no question. About it. 100%. 100- after, what,
1: after what happened last year, he is. I mean, he might not have had to take on that role in a different situation, but he is now. He took on that role
0: and that's what it is. One hundred percent. And and the team is gonna respond, I think, better to him. Um, we'll see how that translates. But just the polar opposite, you know, in regards to type of star, type of personality between Jalen Ramsey and Trevor Lawrence. Um, you know, it's just it's something it's a little bit refreshing. Um and you know, I I was always a a I wouldn't say I was anti-Jalen, but it definitely left a very uh, negative, uh, negative memory of him in my mind for, for some time. But when you're a guy like Trevor Lawrence is right. And, and you are just on a pedestal because of the position, because of the situation, everything like that. And to be able to still lead, be cool, calm, confident, collected, it, it speaks volumes. And I expect him to wear that C on his chest for a very long time.
1: Yes. Um, if Brandon Linder was the first gold star C would not be surprised if Trevor Lawrence is the second. I mean, he should be unless there's just someone that, that has been a captain the last couple of years that could get there prior to that. But
0: who would that be? The only one that I think would have an up upper hand on him would be Marvin. Marvin was the captain last year, right? Marvin Jones. Yeah. Was he not? he's not gonna be on
1: that roster for four straight years no as no I
0: don't think he will either but I'm just saying yeah, the only person that's that has i over him I think yeah. would be Marvin because miles is gone but they got it the same year
1: together so
0: oh you're right you're right yeah 100 percent right
1: miles is gone Brandon Linder's gone I mean Sean Jenkins was voted a captain I doubt he's gonna last that long um we'll see
0: see crazier things.
1: We have seen we crazy crazier things.
0: things, so
1: no doubt. And I'm not a—I don't want to hate on Rayshon Jenkins. I do like his personality; like he's fun, uh, fun to interview, fun to be around. He brings energy on the practice field, but he's just got to be better than he was in 2021, and from a lot of, from a lot of different angles, Especially um, mentally. Yeah. But yeah, if there was one year to miss, I missed a great one. There's no doubt about that, Travis Etienne. Now, Shaquille Griffin, he says he'd be down to play inside. He'll do anything. He said he'll snap the ball. He'll punt. He does not care. And that's Shaq Griffin's whole aura, right? Like his whole mindset. He is all about doing what he can for the team. And uh, I just love that guy. Him and Trevor are so positive. When you look at... And I don't want to just drag Jalen Ramsey and Leonard Fournette and the guys like that but when you look at the vibe coming from the building from now compared to then uh, you know those guys they didn't have the support they needed with the coaching staff with the quarterback all that stuff but it is a different vibe when you look at the energy and enthusiasm and positivity that Shaquille Griffin and Trevor Lawrence and even Foley Fatukasi has clearly been that type of guy since he came into the building. Um, all these guys, Jamal Agnew—it's just positivity, and um, I love seeing that personally. I think it's more sustainable than a kind of me mindset. But look, Jalen Ramsey and Leonard Fournette—they both have Super Bowl rings.
0: Yeah, yeah. You, you definitely can't knock them for that. I mean, they they went on and and they reached the mountaintop. So the biggest thing, though. That, that I see and I know you mentioned it right before we got on here was like you said how positive everyone is and just that these guys aren't guys that are going to put their head down. These guys aren't guys that you are going to put into a funk. They're always going to be positive. They're always going to be looking towards the next play, the next thing. What can I do next to help my team, to help my teammates, to help Jacksonville, everything? And when you have a full team of guys like that, I think like you said, it, it makes things a lot different. The vibe is different. I think your road to success, your path to success, it's different. Um, if everyone's on the same page, and you know we have all got the same vibe going on. now, can you know the two different types of locker rooms coexist? Absolutely, but you need the right structure. I think the biggest thing from two thousand and seventeen was a lot of volatile uh, volatile personalities, uh, not necessarily in a bad way, but just strong, volatile personalities. And there were some bad, there were some good, um some flashy and some just kind of nasty. But when you're able to kind of piece a common, locker room personality together and and then get strong leadership and support from a quarterback from a guy that you know leads the team leads the offense and has a power position in the locker room that changes a lot of things they had to bring other free agents in in 2017 to kind of balance and lead that locker room i.e clay campbell um you know who did a great job malik jackson guys like that who did a great job um but it was a little bit more of a volatile locker room and, and you know tensions boiled over so a little bit yeah more and that EVK wasn't just that. the players no, I mean, what, you want to talk about someone, office, you know?
1: Uh, like, Tom Coughlin is arguably one of the most difficult people to work with in the history of the NFL. I mean, even when he was winning Super Bowls with the Giants, his players hated him. The Jaguars made the playoffs in 96 in spite of Tom Coughlin. Like, I'm not saying he did a bad job coaching X's and O's, but those players hated him. They wanted to show him that they... <laughs> Like, we can do this without you. yeah. Uh, So, and look, Tom Coughlin is what he is. And Doug Marone is what he is. Uh, That was just, that was not a positive locker room. And that was not a, in my opinion, professional locker room. And I think as much as the power of positivity can help if you have a bunch of guys that are like that, And Doug Peterson is a very positive guy, but he's also a professional guy. And I think a lot of these guys are too, um, in terms of their approach to being a teammate, their approach to their craft, um, the way they're going to listen. And Doug Peterson is going to demand the respect from them because he's been there. Trevor Lawrence said it today. He was a quarterback in the NFL. He has won Super Bowls or he has won a Super Bowl as a head coach. He immediately has credibility and demands respect. And he's going to continue, in my opinion, to earn that credibility and respect. Whereas, you know, the last guy that was here just avalanched. From I think when the, when the players originally got here, they were excited about Urban Meyer, his past, his ability to win championships. But they quickly realized just how terrible of a situation it was. Instead of having coming in on a high note and, and then having it all devolve like you saw with Urban Meyer, I do not expect that to happen with a Doug Peterson-led football team.
0: No, I don't expect that either. And, and it can happen. It can't happen because that would set the franchise back again. We'd be out of this cycle and onto the next one. It cannot happen. But um, yeah. you know, like you said, and he he hasn't just come in and demanded respect. He's earning respect, and respect is always earned. And he's
1: he's earned it everywhere he's been. And Urban Meyer, I don't think, I don't even want to talk about Urban Meyer right now. Um, but Urban Meyer did not respect the people he was working with. He expected to get respect instead of trying to earn it. And Doug's just not that guy. Uh, Doug Peterson is not. Now, getting back to some of Shaq Griffin's comments, he said he's pumped to have Darius Williams and Christian Kirk in the building, uh, both of whom were his uh, divisional rivals when they were all out in the NFC West. Darius Williams, he was like, you know, Darius Williams got a pick against us every game, it seemed like. And so having Darius Williams in the building as a cornerback that can uh, be a sounding board and someone that, that Shaq Griffin can learn from and Darius Williams can learn things from Shaq Griffin and Tyson Campbell can learn things from both of them. I think that's huge. And then he said, you know, Christian Kirk scored a few touchdowns on him back in the day and he's happy to be lining up against him on the practice field instead of on Sundays.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, you hope that that, dynamic can carry over right the competitiveness um you know guys want to be better than each other and they know that and I think that the history between some of these players like you just mentioned is going to go a long way especially in the offseason right Darius Williams may have got a couple over on on Arizona um in years past and now they're on the same team and Christian Kirk can kind of get that that uh payback but in in a team building and bonding way and and I think when you can breed competition naturally rather than having to force it, which I feel like a lot of times last year it was almost forced, you're much, much better off.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, maybe the most interesting thing, maybe, because Shaq Griffin is incredibly interesting. Just his interviews, his press conferences, they're fantastic. He said they need one more scary guy on defense to take pressure off Josh Allen. What do you say to that?
0: I mean, define scary. I mean, uh, scary as in we we need a guy who is gonna, you know, physically demeanoring, or 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 you know, are we looking for a guy who. You know, is just gonna be a, a sack beast. I know and the reason why I ask, obviously there it's a rhetorical question, but I know because I we, we you know, Shaq has talked about who he wants to see in the draft, and that's Trayvon Walker. I know that we're gonna transition to a little bit of Trayvon Walker talk too, obviously today. So
1: I wouldn't say he directly said that, but I thought he. It I, was implied.
0: I thought it, oh, I, I implied though. But I thought he, he said he, he
1: liked he, Trayvon Walker. He said he was a beast.
0: I thought they'd asked him specifically. Like, you know what would you do with number one? And I thought he was. He mentioned uh, Trayvon
1: Walker's name. Well, he did. Let's just say right.
0: he put he put that out there. So and yeah. again, not saying, but what I'm saying is, you know, that's a scary guy, and and that's a guy. But but right, you you need somebody who can affect the defense. And I think what, what when I when he first said that, we need a scary guy. I didn't. I didn't think that we need a guy who. Not saying that we don't need an edge rusher because we obviously do, but he. They want a nasty guy. They want a guy who's going to bang down there in the middle and get dirty and and, you know and blow up bodies. And I think Trayvon Walker is that guy. that's what you're looking for, if you need another nasty piece, a real powerful, scary, nasty piece, that's Trayvon Walker. You just got to find out. In the
1: lead, baby.
0: Yeah. What'd you say, Barry? What? You're burying the lead. We got to talk about him next segment. Oh, we're gonna get there. We're gonna get there. We're gonna get there. But yes, we we need some. You need somebody scary, and and not necessarily just Raven Walker, but you need that nastiness. You need kind of an identity, kind of a. Uh, I don't. I don't want to say it's like a mantra, but I, you could. You the defense needs an identity. They need something. What was our identity last year? If you ask me, I couldn't tell you. So. A nasty scary mean identity is something they need to pick up and they've got some pieces to do that and I think he's right you know a couple pieces away they could be a very uh, formidable um, personnel group
1: yeah and you talk about some scary John Henderson Marcus Stroud Donovan Darius that guy was literally scary he would take your head off uh,
0: when he closed that Packers receiver.
1: <laughs> I mean, that was an illegal hit, and it
0: was, very it was a dirty hit. It's very scary. But
1: yeah, I bet scary. you don't go over
0: the middle again when you see Donovan Darius out there. No, a different. Time. I believe that
1: was rog- Robert Ferguson, and you know, I still have my thoughts and prayers out there for him from that. Hit. <laughs> Jeez. Um, but yeah, the Jaguars, when they've been at their best on defense, they've had some of those scary guys i mean tony brackens was a freak of nature um kevin hardy yeah kevin hardy before he started getting hurt absolute freak so yeah you've seen those guys in jacksonville it's been a while though since there's been anybody that can do it consistently for the jags
0: yeah but like i said they need an identity man Mm -hmm. defense every defense has one every great defense has an identity legion of boom Right? The Ravens in their early 2000s, they had an identity. They were going to smacking them out. They were nasty. they were gross, right? Every great defense has one. You've got to get one. Yeah. Now,
1: I think I forgot to mention Griffin talked about I know we talked about it pre-show, but Griffin talked about how his main focus this offseason has been capitalizing when he gets his hands on the ball. You know, hes dro- he dropped a ton of interceptions last year. I mean, at least four that he should have had. Probably a couple more you could argue he should have had. So he said, you could throw a tennis ball right now. I'm going to dive for it. My kid's throwing his toys across the the, uh, living room. I'm diving for it. I'm diving for everything. I'm trying to catch everything. So uh, that's another just, he realizes how he kind of, he's getting paid, right? Like he's getting paid over $15 million per season yeah, it's good to be sticky in coverage and not really be a liability, but when you're getting paid that much, you need to be a difference maker, not just someone who is pretty good in coverage. He knows that, and he's got the mindset to go fix that this year.
0: Yeah, he quite literally dropped the ball last year more than once. And Mm. I know I was pretty tough on him last year about that specifically you're right we did talk about this pre-recording and and i mentioned that i know for a fact that i was one who was very vocal about his inability to bring the ball in especially when it was right in his hands but i truly think we need a better over year a better year overall um from from shaquille griffin right the ones that hit your hands we got to bring those in right and we can't get burnt no we did see a couple times last year where, where he was just not in the right position now I understand, again, hopefully we think all that has Which to Which Jaguar player game. are you
1: talking about? Shaquille Griffin. You could insert any name.
0: Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough, correct. And say that. You're not wrong. right. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. But from a guy that you paid a lot of money to to come and be a cornerstone, last year was a wash, and I'll give pretty much anybody the benefit of the doubt um, about last year. So, so this year, we've we really got to see it. Um, but you're right, you know, catch those balls, man. You're making the big bucks for a reason, and that's not something you saw him struggle with in Seattle. At least if he did, I don't remember it.
1: No, I mean he was a guy that made plays on the ball. He was getting interceptions every year. He wasn't getting eight interceptions, but he was picking off a couple of passes every year, and he's got to pick off I mean. He should have had at least five interceptions. I think it's, easy, it's fair to say. I mean, I can think of four of them just in my mind right now. Just I can see him in my mind. Um, but yeah, he's just make those plays. And if he, if he made a, if he picked off three of those passes last year, people would be so much more happy. Like. And he was there. He he had the opportunity to make the play on the ball. He did make the play on the ball. He just didn't catch it. So if he can do that, I think you could be looking at somebody who fans are just like genuinely effusive in their praise for.
0: Yeah. And a couple of those interceptions, if he had had them, a couple of those would have probably swung a game the yeah, other way. So I mean, definitely, that, that's big, right? When you When you are a guy... In those moments, you got to make those plays because sometimes those plays are the difference between winning and losing a ball game.
1: Mm-hmm. They are now you you got on your Trayvon Walker train here a little bit, but we got to talk about some other guys before we get to Trayvon Walker for the draft because uh, as we know, the draft it is sixteen days away. Is the first round of the NFL draft April twenty eighth eight p.m. live from Las Vegas, John Mechie. Visited the Jaguars, according to the Schultz report. First confirmed meeting with a wide receiver by the Jaguars, or at least a top 30 visit. Interesting stuff. John Mechie. I, th- I think there's a lot of ways to look at how John Mechie and the Jaguars potentially fit.
0: Yeah, it's a knee injury. And for right now, that's you know, it's baffling that it's taken this long for them to get a receiver in. And it's kind of frustrating. A little bit concerning. Um, I, I don't know if it's because they feel like they have thoroughly scouted the other guys or maybe don't need to waste a visit on some of the other guys. But when you have a need as big as we do at wide receiver, especially with the production we've gotten in the past, you would think you'd have a couple more than one wide receivers at this point in for pre-draft meetings.
1: Yeah. Um, let's see. I, I th- What you just said made me think, like, how many pre-draft – top 30 visits do we have confirmed? I'm seeing like 15-ish. There's probably been a few more that have not been reported. But so if you look at it that way, certainly there's more room to add receivers, right, to that to that top 30 list. You can get 30 guys in. Um, so we'll see before the draft just how that all plays out. But I agree with you. The Jaguars should be interested in talking to receivers, like as many as of them as they can. I know there's other needs on the team, but if you want to make sure that Trevor Lawrence doesn't have any excuses, uh you want to make sure you give him everything you possibly can. Yeah, you need to go get at least at least one receiver who you think can become a starter.
0: Yeah, and it's no slight to Mechi. It's no slight to John Mechi, but he's not going to be able to help this team this year. I mean, right. maybe a he's, little bit later in the year,
1: but he suffered the torn ACL in the SEC championship. So that was December,
0: maybe? Was his really in the SEC championship? I thought it was a little bit before that. Yeah. and So SEC he champion. went down in the SEC championship, and then Jameson Williams went down in the college playoff. Yeah. The horrible, horrible timing. Jeez. I thought it was a little bit before yeah, I, that.
1: I firmly believe they would have beat Georgia.
0: Yeah. I really 100%. do. James Williams, He's playing that game. It's it's not even. I don't even think it's. And content. Mechie. Well, they didn't have him already for that one, but yeah, yeah. No, that's not. Yeah, they
1: had those Blue. guys. I really do believe they would have won that game. Um, but yeah. So when will Mechie be healthy? He thinks he's going to be ready in
0: June. For good to go. It's like what seven months, eight months. November, so. December to June five, six months, oh, seven, if I can speak that, that is, that is a short stretch. I know that's it's, a short. It's stretch. crazy. Um, but
1: could he be ready for the regular season? Maybe that's something that the Jaguars medical staff, um, they got to try to sort that out. Right. But when you talk about John Mechie, the player, which I think we've probably talked about him on the podcast before. I like him. Um, I don't like him at like 33, but if you're talking about drafting John Mechie in the third round, this is a guy that can run routes. He's 5'11", I think buck 95, uh, really good route runner, good speed, uh, just kind of a he, – he played the game like a pro in college. Now, the one area that bothers me a little bit about his game, I think he just let a few – too many balls hit the ground. Um, and it's not like a glaring issue – I think he dropped 8% of his career targets, which isn't a horrible number, but it's not great. My target range there for when I'm looking at guys is 5 to 7% makes me feel really comfortable uh, with your ability to catch the ball. And of course, it's not just about the numbers. You watch the games. Um, he had struggles against Kair Elam down the field trying to reel in some of those passes. But, like I said, I think he's a route runner that's going to get open at the next level. Is he going to be a number one receiver? That would shock me, honestly. But if he is a really good number two or three receiver in the NFL for a long time, I am I can see that for sure.
0: Yeah, well, the last thing you want to do is come to Jacksonville and have any more drop issues. That will be a quick way uh, to sour your welcome very fast <laughs> given yeah. the drop issues we had last year. But I got a question for you. So if I tell you this, John Mechie is guaranteed to play next year will be 100% and will be back by week blank. What week would it have to be for you to take him
1: in the third round?
0: No, 33. Like, let's say like he's, he's, Oh, like, I
1: like, wouldn't take him at 33.
0: Even if he was c- completely healthy. No, really? Yeah. You don't think who think- would have been a top wide receiver before the industry? He was definitely up there on that list before that injury. Absolutely, top five well, at least.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I never viewed him as that personally. Um,
0: okay, so first I two think, rounds. I think
1: pre-injury for me, he would have been a mid-second-round pick.
0: Okay, so first two rounds, then. Like, because I, I I agree with you. Third round is where I would start to slowly feel comfortable taking him because of that. yeah. But if, but if you if you think that. You know, round one to two was his original normal projection, which is fine. What what does it have to be for you to to take him within that first two rounds? When will he be ready? Like, what or by when would he have to be ready by for you to feel comfortable with that? I just wouldn't.
1: Even I wouldn't feel comfortable ever. taking him at 33. No no no, 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 no,
0: no, not at 33. Just in general, first or second round, first or second round, because you said, right, that he had a, a let's say, mid second round grade. Would you be comfortable yeah. taking him in the second round at all?
1: Yeah, if I was a team in the mid second round to late second round, and I felt comfortable with him being ready, like really one hundred percent, I don't know. That's an interesting question. And
0: that's that, and that was that was, because that you're was, looking at
1: long term value mm-hmm. versus a few season or a few games in his rookie season. So, and it's different for the Jaguars than some other teams because, like um i don't know name a good team they can probably afford to wait on a receiver to get healthy
0: the jaguars in my opinion they can't wait right which and, and so uh, that's, I'm, I'm speaking strictly from a jaguars perspective and that's exactly okay. why i asked the question because again right we can't wait we can't wait on so yeah healthy.
1: i wouldn't i just i wouldn't be comfortable taking him in the first for the third round
0: so no no does if, if they said he's completely healthy and ready to go by week four with no limitations, completely good to go by week four. Still wouldn't even take a flip.
1: It's going to depend on who else is on the board. It always will, obviously. And I know that's a cop-out. Fair enough. But, so, again, the J- if we're talking specifically about the Jaguars, their only second-round pick is 33. I would have to trade down to even think about it. Which is fair. And I don't want to trade down. The Jaguars have 12 draft picks. Um, They have four picks in the top 70. I don't think the Jaguars should be trading down from 33. I really don't. Um, Now, if they do do that, and could they end up getting good value and getting the players they wanted anyways? Maybe, but like just right now, today, before I know what happened in the first round, I would say you shouldn't trade down from 33. I would say... When you have twelve draft picks, you should be looking to trade up. To be
0: completely honest, yeah, and I think we both share that sentiment. the The only I would say, if one and thirty three, in my opinion, right, are the are the obviously one you want to move a little bit. But those are the picks that you know. There's no negotiating. Like we're not going to lose them. We're not going to trade them away. I'm okay with moving I would down. Still from, trade one. Right? No, no, no. I would. I would. I would be okay with with moving down with one in between one in seven right to, to, within the first seven picks. And now I'd be okay with trading down from 33 as long as it's 40 and above and you get two first or two second round picks for it. Say that again. The only way I'd be willing to trade one was if I was moving back within the first seven picks. Yeah. yeah. The only way I'd be willing to trade 33 is if I was moving down inside the top 40 with two second round picks. So if I got another second round pick in return, from whomever I'm trading so with two
1: twos for your top of the second. Yep,
0: Two twos for 33. It could be a late yeah, one. I don't it could think be a fun, it's got to be within that, 40. Probably. And they might not. And they probably won't. You're right. But, but I'm just saying that that's what it would take yeah. for me personally to move him to 33. Cause like I said, we only have one, one second round pick. Um, So moving from 33 is I it just, you're not in a position to do that. You, you've got to take the best player available in the top of the second round.
1: Yeah. And I wouldn't trade. I would not, blame them for trading up from 33 absolutely to get back into the first please do. and now normally now normally I don't really believe in trading back up into the first unless you're trying to go get your quarterback but when you have 12 draft picks and you have your superstar quarterback that you need to give weapons that you need to build around that you need to give him a defense that can actually you know force turnovers play more consistently. Uh, you yeah, I wouldn't blame them at all for doing that. Um
0: what's wrong with trading back up into the first?
1: Value. Like if you're doing it for a position that is not and a not a high value position, which of course of course quarterback is the highest value position. If you're not doing it for a position like quarterback or maybe edge rusher maybe offensive tackle. I just don't really see the value unless you have a surplus of picks, which the Jaguars do. Fair they enough. do see the value.
0: Yeah, fair enough.
1: I, th- I don't Here's. think bad teams can afford to get aggressive and, and not take a lot of um, throws at the dartboard. Nah, I disagree. The Jaguars have plenty of throws at the dartboard, so they can afford to get aggressive. Okay. That's my, that's my thoughts on that. Yeah. So now if the Jaguars take John Meschi at 65 or 70, I'm good with it, but not before that, because the gap between 33 and 65, it might not seem like a lot. Oh, it's the difference between a second and third round pick. To me, it's huge. Almost. And there's a lot of talented guys in between 33 and 65 for me. I think it's a huge gap.
0: It's a huge gap, but there's a ton of talent.
1: Yeah. That's what I'm saying though like if if someone's like, "Well, if you would take him at 65, why wouldn't you just take him at 33?" Because at 65, he might be one of the top 5 prospects on my board. At 33, he wouldn't be in the top 20.
0: Fair enough. Does that make sense? It does. It does. I'm going to say that, you know, if there's anybody that you're looking at in your for number 33, right? and anybody ever wants to try to argue that, oh, if you're going to take him at 65, you might as well take him at 33, then they're not evaluating they're not evaluating prospects very well because that's 30 picks. That's a whole round of draft picks in yeah. between those two players. If there's a guy, you should already know that, okay, at 33, this is the legit possibility of, of players that are going to be around me. But a whole another round later with every other team picking, you should not have a guy pegged for 65 that you have pegged for 33. You may get lucky right. and that guy from 33 or one of those guys from 33 may fall to 65. But if you're ever banking on, oh, just take him at 33 because, you know, if you're taking him at 65, Miles will take him at 33. That is a horrible mm-hmm. way to look at it.
1: Yeah. And I'll be honest, I'd, I would be very shocked if the Jaguars were interested in him at, at 33. But I would be very shocked if they weren't interested in him at in the third round. Yeah. Trent Bulky loves getting these guys. And I know. It's a freaking meme at this point. It's a joke that he just loves the injured guys, but he does. And the reason he does is because he thinks that they give you value. He believed it with Andre Cisco in the third round last year. He believed it with Walker Little in the second round last year. They give you value because in his mind, John Mechie would have probably been a second round pick if he did not get injured.
0: Yeah. The value is absolutely there if you hit on them, right? If they come back, better than ever. Or you end up with a guy like yeah. Marshawn, not Marshawn Lattimore, Marcus Lattimore, and a few others that he's had. Obviously, yeah. that, that man had way more knee problems than your average, um, you know, guy coming into the league off yeah, of ACL. Yeah, I mean, but.
1: he did it. Uh, Balky did it with several guys where it didn't work out in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, now, so far, with Andre Sisco, it's looking good. That was just a torn ACL. Uh, with Walker Little, it wasn't even an injury anymore. I mean, he had the torn ACL two years ago, but it was just coming off of a season in which he didn't play because the Pac-12 botched the COVID, the whole COVID policy, basically. They said they weren't going to play, and then they changed their minds. And then you have all these guys that are kind of in a crappy situation because they've been planning on not playing. Um, but yeah, like I said, John Mechie in the third, I'm on board for it. I think... I think Trent Baalke would be on board for it because again he's going to see value in that.
0: Yeah. Last now, last yeah, one on me for that before we move on because you have brought me around a little bit. I would be okay with matching the third only if and only if he's not your first receiver taken off the board. Does that have any weight with you <laughs> as well? Like if they're going to take <laughs> that's him, that's fine. No, but I'm I'm serious though. Like, but but I I I expect him to address that position before. Not okay. I don't expect because they don't ever do what I expect them to do. But they need to. Yeah, I think they should. Right, they should. So do you still still pick Sheet? I'm saying only if he's your second receiver off the board. But do you think they... I
1: like that idea. I just don't think it's feasible. Damn. Um, Because they're going to look at their roster. They got Marvin Jones, who he's only under contract for 2022. But substantial investment in him. And obviously, huge investment in Christian Kirk. Pretty sizable investment in Zay Jones. You still got Visca. You still got Jamal. uh, You still got um, Laquan. Uh, So I don't think they're going to do that. And I I hope they take a receiver at 33, depending on who is on the board. Like, obviously, if everyone we like in the first round, which is a long list of names I'm not going to go through right now, but all of those guys and George Pickens is off the board. And you're looking at, I mean, I was I was excited about Christian Watson a little while ago, but he might be off the board. And the more I got into his tape, the more I saw some inconsistencies with the hands, the route running a little sloppy. He had an amazing, you know, pre-draft process with the senior bowl, with the combine. But I think that'd be a little rich for me. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. And then you don't know who else is going to fall out of the first round that you thought was going to be a first-round pick. We can jump into one of those guys right now who a few months ago nobody had in the first round, but now a lot of people are talking about him in the first round. Quay Walker, not Trayvon Walker, but Quay Walker, his teammate out of Georgia, the linebacker who uh, you know played a lot next to uh, Nicobe Dean, played a lot next to Channing Tindall. Both of those guys are going to be drafted highly. Doug Kide of PFF, Pro Football Focus, he um, he did a article today about you know, some guys that could go in the first round that maybe people aren't expecting to go in the first round. Quay Walker's one of them, and he said if he doesn't go in the first round, that um, there's a good chance the Jaguars would probably jump all over him at, at 33, uh, which is... This is a guy I have a late second on, but he screams Trent Bulky. He's got traits. Uh, he's got upside. Does he have the value at 33 as an off-ball linebacker? I don't see that. But uh, but Doug Ky- Kyde says, if Walker doesn't get taken in the first round, then the Jaguars are a team to watch at the top of the second. Then he has a scout's take, which is just like an anonymous scout. Love him. Prototypical size with the versatility and big upside. Excellent athlete, but he's still developing his overall instincts and anticipation. I would agree with that stuff, um, but he's really still developing, in my opinion, upstairs. So 33, I just think that's a bit raw. I'm sure you probably haven't dived too deep into him, but I guess what I would like for us to discuss really re- about that is everybody wants wide receiver at 33. I would not be shocked if it ends up being a linebacker, especially with the moves the Jaguars have made this off season. Yeah. And with the value that I could, I could believe Trent bulky would perceive the value of some of these guys at 33.
0: Yeah, and, and you're right. I, I can't necessarily speak for his play. I've seen a little bit of it, but I haven't really dove into his tape yet. Um, I've really gotten through most of the, the top linemen and a couple of the edge guys, so haven't really gotten that far down yet. But if he becomes a consensus first-round guy, right, and it's, it is common knowledge that he is a first-round grade, then you can't be mad if they take him at 33. Yes, I want a receiver. I will scream to the mountaintops, and I don't care if he's there. If he's there and George Pickens is there, I would still take George Pickens time and time again, 10 out of 10 times, I would. But you can't fault the value. And and, and this is obviously the, the Jaguars' idea of value um, does not seem to be consistent with the NFL uh, average uh, thought on value, uh, obviously, as you can tell. But in a hypothetical world, if the value's there, you can absolutely take him at 33. If he's a first-round linebacker, and he's a guy who you can you can plug in and change the game immediately. And with all the moves they've made in the linebacker room, as you mentioned, by like releasing Miles Jack, um, you know Damian Wilson has gone on elsewhere, the Jaguars are going to probably look into a really seriously improve that room through the draft. And if that's a guy who, again, consensus around the league is he's a first-round guy and he makes it a 33, then you've got to weigh your options.
1: Yeah. Maybe for next week we should have you take a look at him. Yeah, I can do that. Because um, I have him, like I said, I have a late second on him. I don't think his instincts, I don't think his pre draft or pre draft, excuse me, pre snap um, diagnosis, I don't think any of that is terrible. I think it's decent. Uh, he didn't become a full time starter, you know, until later in his career, like all the Georgia guys. But uh, I just don't see him as a first round linebacker. Like, As a first-round linebacker, you have to be a good athlete and you have to be smart as hell. You have to know what the quarterback is doing. In my mind, before the quarterback is even knowing what he's doing sometimes, I know that doesn't really make sense, but you get what I'm trying to say, right? Uh, You have to know what's going on. You have to be brilliant. Um, You have to be the communicator. I think there's two guys that fit that mold and it's Devin Lloyd and and. Quay Walker's teammate, Nicobe Dean. Walker's a better athlete than most of them. When you're testing them in shorts and you see it pop up, but uh, on tape, but not as consistent, not as ready, in my opinion, as those two guys. Um, Texas DB Josh Thompson. Our guy John Shipley over at the Jaguar Report. He reported this. Had a meeting with the Jaguars today. He's interesting because he's got and as a Zoom meeting, four four flat at the combine and then he tested really well at the Texas pro day physical against the run uh, played a lot of off coverage, a lot of zone coverage. I think that sounds like a guy that could make sense for a Mike Caldwell defense. I have no idea what range he's going to go in. Cause he's going to be 24 when the season starts. Uh, so that's going to impact his grade. He's not like some super polished cover corner. So I'm thinking he's day three or UDFA, But that's a guy that Jaguars clearly have interest in after that Zoom meeting today.
0: Yeah, not a guy that I've seen a lot of either. Um, But something that kind of came to mind a little bit while you were kind of discussing that was how heavily, at least from the outside looking in, it seems the Jaguars are focusing on defense. When we know the glaring issue is offense and we know that it's so important for Trevor to take a step forward. And it's not baffling per se, but it is a little bit – I do question it a little bit. I'm not exactly sure why there seems to be this disconnect, at least from my perception, and it may not be the same for you, um, that that we're pushing so hard for the defensive side of the ball. Obviously, we th- we think number one at this point is going to be an edge a defensive player, one of the three. And you see a lot of guys talking about the the, the – the, the, talk of of the Jaguars taking a linebacker at 33 and you know we know that they like um, a lot of these safeties in the draft and do you think maybe they're just going to try to focus on that side of the ball I I talked about it last year a lot saying that the Jaguars were a team where the defense wasn't great but every now and then they were going to put you in a position to win and if we just had a somewhat competent offense we were going to be in a ton of games do you think that from inside that building they get that same sentiment that You know, if we can just get this offense to be somewhat competent, this defense is going to win us games. If we continue to improve it,
1: I don't think that um, I don't think that they really necessarily think that you know the offense is super close. I don't know. They might, but what I will say is, I think that I would not at all be surprised if the first two picks are defense, and I think that'll rub some people the wrong way um depending on who's available at the time of those picks it might rub me the wrong way but yeah i do think that defense is going to be a priority early on um and i don't think it's going to be completely unbalanced in the draft though uh i do think you'll see a balanced draft but if the first two picks were defense that would not surprise me at all yeah
0: me neither and the offense isn't close i i don't i don't think any of us thinks it's close but it could be. I do think there were a couple games last year where the, the offense played well enough to win in regards to not turning the ball over and putting a couple of points on the board, and the defense just couldn't hang tough. And there are obviously times where the yeah. offense looked absolutely miserable as well. But
1: yeah, and that, that was the combination of Urban Meyer trying to implement what he wanted to implement, Daryl Bevel resisting. It was not a good situation. Um, obviously. This is going to be a professional football team in 2022. That's the one thing I keep coming back to. It's going to be a professional coaching staff that is coaching the way you would expect professionals to coach. Uh, And hopefully the players respond to that. I think they will. And I, I do think the offense could be much improved. I'm not going to sit here and say they're going to be a top 10 offense or something like that. But would it surprise me if they go from like the ugliest offense I've ever seen in my life in 2022 for a lot of, excuse me, in 2021 for a long stretch of time to a top 20 offense. No, that would not shock me. We've got a long way to go. We've got to see what happens in the draft, if there's any other moves. But I think that there is something to this offense. Uh, And I think with a couple more pieces, they could be competitive. Not great, but competitive. I guess in twenty twenty two. Guess we're we'll going to find out, huh? Yeah, <laughs> we will. Now, I want you to talk about Trayvon Walker a little bit. I think you had a little bit of a take on Twitter earlier today. Hmm, which one? We had some rankings here. I oh, saw okay. Evan Neal's name. Yeah. I saw Trayvon Walker's name. Aiden Hutchinson. Oh, I'll
0: talk about this. I love this. Okay. Perfect. I know. It's like, I'll get into that. Absolutely. So again, Neil for me, and I've always been, uh, this has been my take since day one. It's not going to change. I, I've, I've kind of wavered back and forth, but Neil is number one, right? By far number one. And I would take Neil over anybody in this draft and it's not particularly close. Um, but me too. I do think that at this point in time, I would lean Walker over Hutch and over Tibbs. And for me specifically it's just it's just come the, the film the film is what i've been seeing and the film is what i'm watching and there's this clip going on right now that you see circulating probably pretty frequently and it's trayvon walker just absolutely exploding through a pulling guard right not poor guy poor guy and i mean if, honestly and and i don't mean this in any other way than just you know from experiencing it from being a coach that is exactly what you want a guy to do on the end of a line Right, you see a guard coming at you. Right, we're not getting blown off the ball. We're not getting pushed back. I want to put him out on his ass. He needs to be on the dirt, on the ground. That's the only way that you're going to stop that 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 play. Right, a pulling guard is going to open holes for you. Seeing Trayvon Walker bring the intensity, bring the attack to that guy was was great, and that's something I've seen a lot of in his film is the physicality. Right, did he rack up a ton of sacks? No, he didn't. But every time you see a play in the backfield with Trayvon Walker on the field, he's most likely there. He's disruptive. He's powerful. He's strong. He's a little raw, but the athleticism, like you just he looks like a football player. And not to say that Hutch and Tibbs aren't, because I've seen great things from both those guys as well, but the consistency in the play and the consistency in the motor, I think, is is what I've seen from Trayvon Walker the most. And people want to talk about his sack numbers, and I get that, but you don't have to have sack numbers to make the defense better to really, um, you know, have a a impact on the overall way that an offense will scheme and attack towards you, right? Aaron Donald does not rack up the most sacks in the league every year, but he is by far one of the best defensive mm, players. Up a lot of he them. does, and it's an enigma because he is completely different than any other interior lineman. And I don't want to say that Trevor Walker is anything close to Aaron Donald because he is a freak. But you see the ways that Aaron Donald can affect the game from inside with his hand in the dirt when he's not rushing the passer or he's not necessarily putting the pressure on the defense. Aaron Donald was double teamed at a a rate of 60% last year. I saw a chart today. 60%
1: and the man is still putting up those
0: kind of numbers.
1: So I think your main point right there is though that it's not all about the stats. He makes an impact off the stat sheet.
0: Right. When you start to have to allocate resources towards Trevor and Walker and game plan towards Trevor Walker, you can open up the other side for, for, for Josh Allen. You can open up. And it's not only just that. So, you know, there, there are so many things that, that this guy can do for you. Sorry about that. I got a little bit of a Twitter notification there as we speak, actually. Um, but, you know, you've got to look at things outside of the numbers. And I feel like that's the biggest thing people aren't doing. Also, when you're watching the, this, this film, what a lot of people don't do is, You've got to look at the quality of play. Yeah, Hutch looks great at times. And I've seen a lot of sacks where the offensive line play was just really subpar. Very, very poor. Hands down, guys lunging, stuff like that. So yeah, it looks great when you've got this guy making all kinds of plays all over the field and and you know, racked up 14 sacks last year. But and I will
1: say some of those guys that you're talking about. They're gonna be drafted at the end of this month.
0: And they might be, but but it doesn't they are. It doesn't change the rep. When I see Aiden Hutchinson get a sack and everyone's like, look at this guy, look what he's doing, and I watch an offensive lineman with his head down lunge forward on a pass protection, like the 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 balance is off. Everyone knows that. Like you've got to look at these small things. So but just again, so kind of to to kind of wrap it all up here, and I've been talking here for a minute, kind of just spitting my mind. But oh, I wanted you to absolutely Trayvon Walker. The way that he attacks the ball, attacks an offense. I mean, I, I think is great. And as of right now, if you're going to go interior defensive lineman, or defensive lineman in general, interior defensive. And 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 I and, I'll, and I'm going to get there because I realized I said that without kind of explaining that. So I'll get there in just a second. I would go Trayvon Walker with this three four scheme that we are going to see, having a big disruptive end on the inside with his hand in the dirt. Is more valuable than you think, than people will realize. That big defensive end keeps everything inside, can help keep plays between the tackle, um, and you can still generate pressure from his side as well. It's and, and it's he'll do
1: that, by the way. He will. You haven't really talked about that run defense as a whole. His run defense is not a projection.
0: Like he's ready to be an elite run defender from day one. Absolutely. And you see it. You see it. You see it on that on, on that one clip that I'm talking about that I saw over the last few days. He brings the boom. There's some things that you want to see. He is raw. Technique is not great at times. But even when he lacks technique... He still makes a play. And that specific take right there that I was talking about, you will see when he comes to make contact, his hands are low off the ball. He does not come off the ball with his hands up. His hands are down. But he's able to get those hands up, still bring the boom, bring the contact, and still blow that guy right off the ball, right off the line of scrimmage. It was very great to see. Other guys, you can tell um, you know, in certain plays where their technique lacks or their motor lacks, right? they kind of have a step back. And I'm sure there are plays in there that you guys will find, or you can find a Trayvon Walker having poor technique or poor motor or something like that. And you can put on that screen for me. I'm not saying it's not there. Every prospect, every prospect has it, but the consistency and the way that he affects the game in a different way is something that really, for me, when I've been diving into his tape over the last probably about a week and a half now, since, you know, we kind of started obviously a couple months ago, you know, not a couple months ago, it's been a little bit from now, but kind of that, that narrative kind of started to get pushed our way a little bit over the last week's kind of really, you know, ramped up a little bit, but that's what I've seen lately. And and I wouldn't be mad about it at all.
1: And this is a guy he is. I don't know if I made this up or not, but in my mind, he is a 100th percentile athlete.
0: He's in the 90s. Unbelievable physical chart stature. Number. Yeah.
1: Okay. He's six foot five and 272 pounds with 35 and a half inch arms. That's incredibly long. Ten and three quarters hands. Huge hands. Powerful hands. All that is great. Runs a 4'5", 140, 36 vertical, 123 broad. He ran a three-cone drill faster than most receivers. His 20-yard shuttle was good, too. His comparisons on mock draftable, they're Peyton Turner, Janarius Robinson, Ziggy Ansah, Preston Smith, Danielle Hunter, Joe Tryon, Emmanuel Ogba, Jadavian Clowney. Do you want to know what all those players have in common? Yes, I do. NFL production. (laughs) Um, Look, he is an incredible athlete. He is a great run defender, both strong side and weak side, because he can hold up at the point of attack. Um, against tight ends and, you know, kind of hold up against a double team with that length and strength. And he'll also chase you down on the backside. So he's ready there, but the pass rush is such a projection. Yeah. And you can take, you look at a lot of these guys that didn't really produce in the pass rush department in college, and then they become great pass rushers in the NFL. Uh, Danielle Hunter's one of them one of those comps that you've got for the athletic profile, Joe Tryon as well. Uh, But still at number one, it scares me.
0: It does. It does. Uh, Truthfully, I think anybody not named Evan Neal scares me at number one. Kyle Hamilton wouldn't scare me as a player, but the value is not there at number one. I can't take a safety number one overall, especially what I've got in the room right now. Mm-hmm. but uh, truthfully any of those edges any of those guys they're going to scare me yeah absolutely are and, and I hear you, you No, know, every, everybody has a drawback right but my thing is with Trayvon Walker right now his drawback is not the physical specimen that he is not the athleticism not the uh, ability nothing it's just the numbers oh he didn't get enough Yeah, I mean
1: in theory in theory you can coach him up you cannot make Aiden Hutchinson's lo- arms longer. You just can't do it. Exactly. You can't make him a more fluid athlete. Um, so, yeah, I get what you're saying. I still would take Hutchinson first. I mean, not first overall. I would take Hutchinson before I would take Trayvon Walker. I would take Kayvon Thibodeau before i take Trayvon Walker. And I would take Jermaine Johnson before i take Trayvon Walker. But that's just me. I, I said it earlier. Um, the show I did today the Duval Daily was all about Trayvon Walker, the comparison to Alden Smith. Um, but that's me. But let's you look at Trent Balky's draft history. Alden Smith pops up, which I don't think is a great comp. The comp there is the fact that Trent Balky's making the pick, and both of those guys had incredible length. Coming out. Yeah, but Alden Smith was just a freak show in terms of his hand use. Six 70
0: Absolutely just a physical specimen, a physical freak. And if it wasn't for the off-field issues, Alden Smith may have been one of the best pass rushers in NFL history.
1: He had 33 and a half sacks in his first two years. Yeah.
0: yeah. People but forget. Look,
1: Smith was a much better technician. As a as a red shirt freshman at Missouri he racked up 11 and a half sacks and he did it with length and hand usage.
0: You know what I'm doing. And he was a good week.
1: athlete. He was a good athlete.
0: I will have a comparison. I said, "Well, you know what? I'll do before next week cuz you now you've sparked my interest. I will I'm going to have a, a comparison for the college tape of Trayvon Walker yeah. and Alden Smith." I'd love to see that right cuz you said it. You know, it, I want to see the physicality. I want to see what's physically there in regards to the hands, everything and see where that compares cuz like you said, you can coach guys up certain things. Yeah, you can coach guys up on technique if he's got the hands if he's got the motor he's got all that kind of stuff right like you said you can't stretch out in hutchinson's arms you can't you know if 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 the motor is your issue with tibbs or you know whatever it may be there's certain things you, that you can't factor in that you can't change but physicality yeah. and 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 the freakish athletic numbers that he's putting up i mean scary it's a scary yeah, we're guy Both
1: evan yeah we're both evan Neal at one guys here uh, I like Kayvon Thibodeau as the second guy if if you're going to take an edge rusher um, after Evan Neal in terms of who I would prefer the Jaguars to go get. But um, you got to like a lot of what, what uh, Trayvon Walker offers you. And if you want to hear more about my whole breakdown of that, you can check out the Duval Daily from today on your podcast feeds or on YouTube. Um, but yeah, that's all I got for you today
0: yeah me too that's I mean that that was that was a good one right there i think hell yeah i like that one. so hey so that'll do it but i will yeah. say i was thinking about this brainstorm for the future here got a couple ideas moving forward we're getting close to draft time um if anybody has a specific player they maybe want us to get through some some film i know we've done this in the past kind of like mailbag stuff but mm-hmm. i'd like to maybe select a couple players each week between you and i for us to kind of both dive into film i know you're into Way more film than I am at this point, so I'll probably have to catch up with you. Um, but identify a couple of players and just kind of give our little draft profiles as we lead up to the next couple of weeks of the draft. So we got two podcasts left before draft time, or is it one? Yeah, at least so we can get two in before the draft. It's yeah. two Thursdays, so yep, maybe a couple of players at couple, maybe three players each at number one and three players each at thirty-three. We'll do that the next two weeks and just kind of uh, I mean in a little bit. Two,
1: we'll talk about this, but maybe we'll even just do a whole draft mailbag. I'm cool with that too. Yeah, but we'll figure it out. We'll let y'all know, obviously. But I like it. I do. I do love getting the the fans, the listeners involved, and we will do that over the next couple of weeks. That'll do it for the show today, Duval Jeremy. I really appreciate you. Had a great time talking some Jags football, talking some draft, um, and we will get back after it next week. You can of course look out for Duval daily. Uh, check com for all the latest Jaguars news and analysis. Follow Jeremy on Twitter at Jeremy Markowski, myself at Jordan DeLugo, Generation Jaguar at Generation Jag. And if you can, please like and subscribe the new YouTube channel. It's at GenJag. That's where you can get the Duval Daily videos. Um, obviously, you can listen to them on your podcast feeds as well, but we're really trying to push that YouTube channel. So if you appreciate what we do, Go check it out. Hit that subscribe button. It'll really help us out. And enjoy the rest of your week, Duval. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew
0: can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger.